Our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, 1 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus also said to the disciples, A certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration, because you can no longer serve as my manager. The household manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is firing me as his manager? I'm not strong enough to dig and too proud to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I am removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their houses. One by one, the manager sent for each person who owed his master money, said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, take your contract, sit down quickly, and write 450 gallons. Then the manager said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. He said, take your contract and write 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed to the internal homes. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much, and the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, if you haven't caught on, we're talking about money today. And it's awkward, right? It's, it's also awkward because uh, next month, in the month of October, we're going to be in our stewardship campaign, and we're going to be talking about it even more. And so this, this particular message feels slightly out of place, knowing that that's on the horizon. But the, during this uh, month of September, we've been uh, wrestling with some of the more difficult and challenging words that Jesus has to offer. Uh, and really... Some of the most difficult sayings that Jesus has to offer us have to do with money. And we don't talk about it enough. I don't know why. We're, we're like, we got really private about money for some reason, uh, and we just don't like to talk about it. But we kind of need to, particularly in the life of the church. And don't get me wrong, this isn't going to be me saying you need to be putting more in the offering plate so that we can like, do more stuff. This is rather more of how is Jesus challenging us to think about our money? Uh, and really, not just the words of Christ, but this is true. These challenging words happen all across Scripture. In fact, did you know that there are over 2,000 verses that have to do with money, possessions, and wealth in Scripture? That's more than the, all of the verses about prayer and faith combined. <laughs> 2,000 verses. Uh, a couple for you to consider. Deuteronomy 16, 17. 
Everyone shall give as they are able according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. Proverbs 11:28. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous shall flourish as the green leaf. Ecclesiastes 5:10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Isn't that true? Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus answers, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 1 Timothy 6, 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Revelation 3, 17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Need I go on? We've got 1,994 others that we can cover. Even still, perhaps no scripture holds as much of a challenge when it comes to money as the one before us today. It's perplexing because it seems a little bit out of place, and we're not exactly sure where Jesus is uh, trying to point us. Is Jesus siding with the master? Is that his role in this story? Is Jesus promoting the crooked manager? Is he telling his disciples to be like the people of this world? There's a point in there that we might be uh, challenged to think that. Really, we need to be asking, what is Jesus trying to say about money? Because he does have a lot to say about it. And really, I think a better place to begin this conversation is with the question, why does Jesus talk about money at all? And so I want to open this up to you for a moment. This will be our call and response time. Why does Jesus talk about money at all? What's the point? Because Jesus likes to bring up uncomfortable things. That's just what he does. He seemed like he never had any. Sure. He never worried about it, never wanted for anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Jesus was not the rich king that people wanted him to be. No, he was poor. There's a connection between an open hand and an open heart. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. There is a connection between an open hand and an open heart and open eyes. Uh, yeah. It's a lot easier to love like this than to love like this. I'll take a moment and defer to uh, the late Billy Graham, who said, Give me five minutes with a person's checkbook, and I will tell you where their heart is. Ooh, think about that for a moment. Give me five minutes with a person's checkbook, and I will tell you where their heart is. I personally don't write checks very often, maybe twice a year for weird things that haven't got into the 21st century. Uh, but we do have a very uh, intense budget that my wife is so good to uh, uh, organize for us. And so we see every single charge, uh, and it's very evident where our heart is. Food. <laughs> yeah. 
But I want you to consider for yourself. Jesus, the Bible, the church, we talk about money because how we use money is an indicator of what matters to us. It tells us what we care about. And we think about what Jesus told us we should care about the most. And uh, what did he say? What is the greatest commandment in the second like it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments. On these hang all the law and the prophets. This is what should matter most to us, God and others. And so I wonder how much our checkbooks, our bank accounts reflect that. Does our money indicate a love of God, a love of others? Or does it indicate that we are wasteful? You see... In our text today, a certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. His household manager, this is like a steward, some, a financial uh, advisor, is just kind of throwing it all away. And it's important to consider this word of how he's wasting his estate because it comes right on the heels of another parable that we know very well, the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is one who asks for his inheritance early from his father. And whenever he receives it, what does he go and do? He wastes it. He's, uh, the, the word that's used in both of these instances is the exact same. The same thing that the prodigal son does with his inheritance, so too does the manager uh, do with his master's money. Uh, the word here is uh, a funny Greek word, diasporizo which uh, really is more of an agricultural word, which means to scatter, like you would seed, to just cast it out there. That's the concept that's going on here. This is how uh, the prodigal son is viewed with his inheritance. He's just kind of throwing it out there, seeing what happens. Maybe it'll land among good soil. Maybe it won't. Who really cares? I've got the seed. I'm going to throw it out there. The same is true of this manager. He's just taking his, and this time it's not even his, at least the prodigal son, it was his inheritance. This time it's his master's money and he's just throwing it out there, seeing where it lands, we'll see what happens. This is how he's uh, talked about wasting his money. In the case of the manager, money was something to be spent and recklessly at that. He's the kind of person that I imagine is that guy who uh, walks up into the club or wherever he goes and he pulls out a wad of bills and just starts, because he thinks it makes him look cool. Yeah, I, I feel like this manager is that guy. He's just the kind of guy who's just gonna throw money out there. What's that old country song? Casting out $100 bills and it kills and it thrills. Well, that's what I can't even remember. <laughs> that's all I remember from the song. <laughs> So, what does his use of money tell us about his heart? I think we could argue that his only loyalty is to himself. Think about it for a moment. This is his master's money. It's not his. It's his master's money that he's wasting. So he obviously doesn't even really care about his master. There's no loyalty there. But at the same time, 
He's wasting it. It's not like he's investing it. It's not like he's spending it on something else. Uh, he's not uh, giving it to people. In other words, he's not trying to make anything better so he doesn't care about others. Even when he starts thinking about his options, what options he has when he knows he's about to be fired, what does he say? He says, uh, he says I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too proud to beg. He's only thinking about himself in this, right? We can see that the only thing that matters to him uh, by the use of his money and even the plans he makes with it is for himself. And so I want to ask, what do you think your use of money would say about you? I, I don't have many memories from my childhood, uh, but I do remember a very fuzzy, hazy memory about the first time I received a $20 bill. I can't remember why. I think it was because I had like done, like my, my parents tried to do like a little allowance system where if we did all of our chores and uh, stuff like that, then at the end of the month we would get some kind of allowance. But I don't remember it being $20. I, maybe it was a birthday or something. Like, anyways, I had a crisp $20 bill and uh, I'm probably about the age of seven at this time, maybe, I don't know, like I said, I can't remember. But I do remember exactly where I wanted to take that $20 bill. It was a store in Madison Square Mall called KB Toys. And I knew exactly what I wanted there. On the second shelf up from the floor, about halfway into the store, there was, in a very large open package, this toy futuristic gun. And the cool thing about this toy futuristic gun is that it was modular. And so you could like connect different things to it. But the coolest thing about it, uh, and this is going to tell you a lot about me, the coolest thing about it was that, was not that it was just a gun, but you could shift it and turn it into a sword. And I like swords a lot more than guns whenever I was a kid. I, born in the wrong era, I guess. And that's where my first $20 bill went to. I feel like it broke the same week. <laughs> but I remember that being so huge because I remember a couple of weeks before I had seen that toy modular gun that could shift into a sword in that store and I asked my parents for it and my dad said, when you have money to buy it, you can buy it. And then I had money to buy it a couple weeks later, and so that's, of course, what I went to do. Where was my heart in that? Where was my priorities? If you had to guess. What's that? Yeah, me. And not just me, but really silly things. Like, that's probably the most useless thing anybody's ever spent $20 on. It didn't even entertain me for very long because I broke it because I was reckless that way. But a couple of years uh, down the road, my priorities started to shift because a friend of mine got a GameCube. A little outdated gaming system, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a little cube, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And there was a uh, store just down the street from us called Rhino, 
and uh, Rhino was a game store, you buy all kinds of video games there, and the R was very big in the name, and the O was very big in the name, and we always said it was that way because it stood for ripoff. Uh, <laughs> but I knew that I could go and get a GameCube there, and so I started saving up my allowance, and then eventually I did go and buy a GameCube, and that kept me entertained for a lot longer. But my priorities had shifted from something so childish as this little breakable toy that had zero function to, uh, an object that had a little bit more of an advanced nature to it. A couple more years down the road and my priorities start shifting because I was able to actually make friends despite my socially awkward nature. And it was also about the time whenever I was getting my, I had gotten my driver's license. And so the, the two things that mattered most to me were uh, being able to get gas in the car so that I could drive to either Sonic or Burger King, which is where my friends and I would hang out, and I would need money there as well so that I could buy something because I'm a teenage boy and we need food, uh, and so I would then purchase whatever it was that I was purchasing. So the two things that I needed money for was gas and food, but it wasn't just for the gas and food, it was because that's how I started making those friendships deeper and last longer. A couple years after that, my priorities shifted again. And this time, I needed money so that every single thing that I did would be impressive to a certain someone. Yeah, there was a girl I had to impress. And it did work after a couple of years. <laughs> It did work, but everything that I was focusing my, my funding on was being able uh, to do nice things for her, buy her gifts, be able to take her out to uh, dinner. Of course, it was never nice dinner because I'm a college kid, uh, and it was probably uh, Taco Bell or something like that, because who doesn't like Taco Bell? And then we got married, and things shifted again. And now we're in our seventh year of marriage, and things have shifted yet again. And now whenever we, uh, well, the things we like to spend our money on is travel. We really like to see the world, and we like to do this with our close friends and experience all of these things. But you can see throughout my life, as you probably are able to see throughout your own, that our priorities shift. Of course they do. But we can especially see how our priorities shift based on how we spend our money, our finances tell us a little bit more about what we are loyal toward, the things that are significant to us, where we feel that need in our lives. And the thing is, is that based on our life circumstances, this can look different. You see, we don't always have disposable income. Some of us have never even known the concept. And in those instances, it's, I've got to survive, I've got to feel safe, I've got to be able to provide for my family as best as I can. And we see, once again, where our priorities lie. And then there are those times where disposable income is just something that, like, yeah, of course that's what we have. That's like over half of our budget. We're going to be spending our disposable income on, on this and this and this and this. And uh, we start to see, once again, where our priorities shift to because we start trying to 
fill a certain void in our lives with material possessions because we have the finances to make a difference in that. And then there is another area that we can start to see our finances guiding our priorities. And that's in the way that we open our hands to others. The generosity that we might express. You see, the corrupt manager uh, in our parable today, he, his entire focus had been on squandering his master's money until hard times come. And all of a sudden, his priorities shift because he has hit a certain point in his life where the finances are no longer going to be there, and he has to reprioritize the things that matter to him. And what does he do? This is interesting. He starts to build community. He starts to build community. Listen to this. He, uh, he, he says, I know what I'll do so that when I am removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their houses. He's looking for community. He realizes that money can be a, a way to develop a sense of loyalty among others and decides to take steps to ensure that he will have a community to which he can, be, to which he can belong whenever the dust settles. And the way that he does this is he goes around to all the people who owe his master something, like the crazy person who needed 900 gallons of olive oil, and he starts tossing out those debts. He says, you, you owed him 900, let's cut that to 450. That's still way too much olive oil, but we're going to cut that in half there. And to the guy who owed 1,000 uh, bushels of wheat, we're going to cut that down to 800. He starts tossing out their debts. And there's a certain amount of gratitude that he knows they will show toward him. And he's hoping that when he needs them, they will be loyal to him. Now, if you ask me, this is a little bit manipulative, right? <laughs> he's not doing this for the people who have debts. He's doing it for himself. He needs a place to fall back to uh, whenever everything comes crashing down. But the master ends up commending him. He says, you've been very wise. And Jesus even says of him, people who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. Even Jesus thinks this guy is more clever than his own followers because of how he deals with the people around him by forgiving debts. And this is what makes this passage challenging because we feel like those who act for their own self-interest should not be rewarded. That, I mean, I know that's kind of how the world ends up working, but, but Jesus shouldn't work that way. Why is Jesus commending this guy too? You see, that's exactly what Jesus is counting on. Jesus knows that we will think this way, that we will be upset by the fact that the person who acts manipulatively for his own self-interest is going to be the person we're going to be upset about. And that's why Jesus says that people who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. What he's saying here is that it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous that the people who are focused on worldly wealth are more wise in how they work with others than the people who follow God. What Jesus is saying here is that uh, he's, he's, 
challenging us to ask the question, how could it be that those who are selfish can build community better than those who are supposed to be selfless? How is it that those who cling to wealth know how to use it for others when those who are supposed to live for others end up clinging to wealth? How is it that those whose eternal debts have been forgiven are still so stingy with their resources that when those who live in, in, in the midst of the times when those who live in brokenness can be so generous? You see how he's upending his own disciples' view of themselves. He's saying even these people who are corrupt, even they know how to deal with other people in a compassionate way. Even if it's for their own self-interest, at least they're doing something for someone else. Why aren't the people who follow Christ doing this? And this is why Jesus concludes this story by saying, No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. That's because where our treasure is, there our heart is also. So what does your money say about you? So my challenge for us this week is to find out where your loyalties lie. Find out what matters to you. Our finances, they can tell us a lot about ourselves, but the thing that it will always show us is what is most important to us. So I would challenge you to even go back and look through your checkbook or your bank account and see uh, on those credit card statements where most of your income is going. Find out what matters to you because Jesus is offering us challenging words, words that are meant to shake us to our core, that are meant to implore us to live transformed lives. And this is just as true in the way that we spend our money as it is in the way that we worship or treat others. Jesus is challenging us to make a difference. And in our parable today, he speaks about, the best, he speaks about how the best way that we can use our money is to build community. Why? Because that's how we show our love for God and others, by building community. And we do it because... Our debts have been tossed. We've been welcomed into this family of treasures in heaven. Why, then, would our loyalty not lie with Christ? Why, then, would our finances be so devoted to ourselves whenever those debts have been tossed? So, let us be a people who go from this place to find out exactly where our loyalties lie. Let us be a people who get transformed by the challenging words of Scripture on our finances. Let us pray.